God for what he's done for us. This is my testimony from death to life, because grace rewrote my story.
Church, you can go ahead and have a seat. My name is Shirley, and I'm so glad you've joined us today. If you're new here, we'd like to give you a little gift. If you'll head to the new here tent just outside the lobby at the end of the service, we'd love to get a chance to meet you and get to know you personally. We have some exciting things coming up here at Horizon West Church, and the first is our group leader launch. That will be next Sunday, August 27th right after the 11 o'clock service, so our second service, and lunch will be included for that. This is just a meeting, a gathering, a training for current group leaders and also anyone who's interested in becoming a group leader. I know my family has personally been very blessed by the groups that we've been involved with here at Horizon West Church for the last couple years. The second thing we have coming up is particularly exciting to me because my husband and I have the privilege of teaching second through fifth graders all about baptism. So this is going to be our dive class. And this is a four-week class for anyone who's recently been baptized or anyone who's thinking about getting baptized, has become a Christian and is ready to take the next step in their faith. And it's for second through fifth graders. It'll be in our elementary building, and it'll be every Sunday in September, so starting September 3rd. If you're interested in either of those events, you can go to our website, horizonwestchurch.com events. For the baptism class, you can scan this QR code right here, and you can sign up and register. Now, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer as we continue to worship God through song. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in community with our brothers and sisters at Horizon West Church. I pray, Lord, that through our groups and also through different ministries we have going on, gathering together like the dive class, that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to what you have to teach us, young and old, all of us here at Horizon West Church. I pray as we continue to worship that you would be glorified, Lord, in what we hear today from Austin and in our songs to you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Will you stand with us this morning? We're going to enter into worship today. My name is Ezekiel. I come from the John Young campus, and Socrates asked me to join, join you all today. So grateful to be here. We're going to sing a new song this morning, and uh, just encourage you to join in with us. Amen?
Amen, church. Will you stay standing with me for just a moment? Join with me in prayer this morning. God, you are so good. Lord, I find myself wanting to just pray those lyrics. We need you now. You are a God that is able. And so, Father, I ask that this would be true of us this morning. That, God, we would not allow our circumstances to get in the way but, Father, that we would recognize our need for you. Use your word to speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> Good morning, church. My name is Austin Bracci. I'm our group's director here this morning. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to open God's word with you. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Open with me to the book of Acts. This morning I'm going to be continuing on um, in our series called What Really Matters. And I'm sticking with that theme, but being as I'm not the normal teaching pastor, I've been given the liberty to move out of 1 Corinthians, which I will be doing. So, um, if you will, uh, as you're turning to Acts, this week I was... Um, Watching one of my favorite shows currently, which I think is the best show on TV. Um, and for those of us with little ones, you probably, all you need to hear is this word, bluey. Right? If you don't have little ones, let me introduce you to the healers. Um, that is mom, chili, dad, bandit. And then bluey is the little blue one and little sister is bingo. So, um... As I was watching the show this week um, and thinking about the things that really mattered, um, of course, my son, uh, my four-year-old son is the one that kind of got me into the show, and, um, but it is an incredible show. And so we're watching this episode called Flatpak. Um, and it's, the beauty of Bluey is that there's really no storyline throughout the seasons. Like there's 150 episodes and every single one's just kind of a snapshot of the day of the life of this family of four. And so mom and dad have gotten this flat pack of furniture. Um, if you're not sure what that is, think Ikea. So they've gotten this thing from Ikea, and it's come with pre-drilled holes with pegs. Um, it's got a little Allen wrench, and it's got instructions. And so mom kind of, they're opening up all the boxes, and mom says, well, here, here's the instructions. And like, and dad, like all dads do, says, I don't need instructions. I'm not taking instructions from a little picture on a, you know, thing. So over the course of the entire episode, mom and dad are kind of putting together this box of furniture and um, fumbling over the, each other. But, but as they empty another box, they kind of toss it into the backyard where Bluey and Bingo, the little ones, with this wild imagination, are playing in these boxes. How many of you as little kids got to play with the box, and, or maybe you have kids, and Christmas morning they opened and they set the gift aside and they just played with the box, right? And so that's what, you know, Bluey and Bingo are just doing what little kids do, and they, they're playing with boxes, and their imagination is running wild. Meanwhile, mom is crushing dad's finger with a hammer, and he is, they're fumbling, and they're dropping things, and this prefabricated thing is falling apart. And if you've ever put together some particle board type bookshelf, you know that something is going to break along the way. And so, of course, there's frustration that is going on. And all of a sudden, kind of towards the middle or halfway through the episode, mom just kind of 
overhears the girls in the background playing, and she kind of looks up, and for a moment she realizes that her focus, that, that all of this, has, this day has been out of focus. And she sees her kids playing, and what really matters comes back into her mind, and that is that they are caring for and loving and nurturing their children. And so she actually, and I quote, let's do this without all the argy-bargy. And let's pretend, because the, the, the girls are pretending, let's pretend that we're the kind of people that are good at this stuff. And they refocus and they build what it is that they're trying to build. And what really mattered kind of gotten lost for a moment. But then she had a moment where she refocused on what really matters. And if we're true, if we're being honest with ourselves, it's easy for us to get caught up in life, in the, in the pressures of life, in the paying of bills, in the going to the grocery store, in the, all of the chores that have to be done around the house to just to make it look like no one lives there, right? That we can lose sight of what really matters. And I think sometimes that's true of us in the church as well. That there's stuff that has to be set up. As the group's director, I'm also our setup and teardown team leader. So if, you're, if you've got nothing to do on Sunday mornings at 6.30 or 7, come join us. We'd love to have you. But there's stuff that has to be set up. So we forget that we're doing ministry or what really matters, right? Or there's stuff that we have to get to after church. And so we forget what really matters. And so this morning I want to talk about that. What really matters to the church. And I think it's, it's really good to open the text and see what really mattered to the disciples at the formation of the early church. And so this morning I want to talk about relational community. Relational community. And so before we jump in at Acts 2, I want to kind of set the stage in Acts 1. So I'm going to read Acts 1 verses 4 through 9. It says this, While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This is Jesus with his disciples. But wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For, for John baptized with water, but I will be baptized, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at, this, Israel at this time? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the period that the Father has set by his own authority. But, in verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and at the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So it's really quickly, it's important here to see two things before Jesus ascended into heaven. He first, the mission. So Jesus went by, Jesus gave his disciples a mission. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. But the disciples were already witnesses of God through Jesus. So first he gave them the mission, but he also gave them the promise of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in, in, in the Bible it says that Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I will leave so that I, w- that I may send a helper to you. That is my spirit. So I think it's important to point out that this mission and this promise were both given to the disciples prior to the establishment of the church. Prior to the establishment of the church. Pastor J.D. Greer says this, God did not give a mission to his church. He gave a church for his mission. 
It's important to establish that. As we're, as we're thinking about what really matters in church life, especially at the establishment of the church, that before the church was ever born, that Jesus had a mission for them. But he says, I want you to wait. I don't want you to go yet. I want you to stay here. And so as I studied this passage, I found this one key element that really stood out, but it played out and it was broken down in a couple, couple different steps. So there's one key element, a couple different steps. The first step is this, the environment of faith. The environment of faith. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, where it says they were all, or, yeah, sorry. Then they returned to Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, where they were staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem. And so they go back to Jerusalem, which is just a Sabbath day journey away. So that's a really close journey. Like you can't go very far on the Sabbath based on the law. Like that's, and so, but it says that all 11 disciples at this time, minus Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, as well as the women that were a part of their family and fold, and Mary, the, the, the mother of Jesus, what did they do? They devoted themselves to prayer. Their environment of faith was devoted to prayer. So think about this concept. The disciples were already witnesses of Jesus. They had seen his miracles. They had walked with him in his ministry. They, they had seen the, lime, the, or the lame made well, the blind see, the, the sick healed. They had witnessed the beating and the crucifixion and his resurrection. And if anyone was in shape to tell the world about him, it was them. Yet, even though they believed, at this point, they still had no power. They had not received the promise. They had heard of the mission, and they had, they had heard of the promise, but they had not received that yet. And so they huddled together, and with their mouths, they cried out to God in prayer. And this is what I believe Paul talks about in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes. Not the mind, not the mouth. With the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, then one confesses and is saved. And I think this is a beautiful picture. The environment of faith for these disciples in this moment was that they believed in their heart. And they were confessing with their mouth. Their dependence on God, they, they continually devoted themselves in one accord to prayer. So the environment of faith for the disciples was one of patiently waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. And then to take action in Jesus' mission. So we see their initial environment of faith. Look at what happens next. And this is in Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived... They were all together in one place. What were they doing? Probably praying. 
That's what they have done. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confessed or confused because each one of them heard the speaking of his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us can hear them in our native language? So we see their environment of faith. Now the Spirit comes and it turns into the empowerment of faith. Let's think about this for a second. I was, as I was studying, I asked myself this question. It says in, in verse 5, it says there was Jerusalem's, or there was Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. Like, why would, every, why would someone be present from every nation under heaven? Like, that just, and so I started researching a little more. And then this is just astounding. It says in verse 2, in chapter 2, verse 1, on, when the day of Pentecost had come. And I started putting together this timeline. And we know with good certainty that Jesus, when he was crucified, was crucified at the time of Passover. And so when you, were, when you look back in the Old Testament, the, the time of Passover was a, was a celebration of what God had done to save the Israelites when they were under the rule of Herod, of Moses, or sorry, uh, the, under the rule of the, um, the Egyptians, the Egyptians. And so God had given them this festival that, to, that celebrates the Passover, which is the releasing of them from that rule to establish their own nation. And so 50, as, as they're celebrating that, then Moses goes up on the mountain for about 50 days, and he comes back with the Ten Commandments. And so Pentecost, or the festival of weeks, as the Jews would call it, was a celebration of the giving of the Ten Commandments, of the, of the, of the law, this law that God gave them to his people. So we see Jesus now being crucified, dying at Passover, three days later being raised again, presenting himself to his disciples, and then 40 days later, Jesus ascends into heaven. So for about 10 days, the disciples were praying, seeking God, they were in unity, and then the day of Pentecost comes, 50 days from the death of Jesus, and God sends a new law. He sends his spirit to dwell among his people Jesus, and so Jesus ushers in the promise of the Spirit. There's, there's a couple of elements I want to point out here at the coming and the empowerment of our faith. First is the sound. There was a mighty wind. The, the, the beauty of this is that both Greek and Hebrew word that means spirit can also be translated to wind. So when you're, re, when you're reading this in, in an ancient text, it's like, it makes sense. Yes, the Spirit would come like a, a rushing wind. But I don't know that our words put it into context, the idea that what happened here, a mighty wind. I'm, I'm, how many of us have ever experienced a hurricane, right? We live in Florida. 
Yes, maybe not a hurricane. When, uh, when I moved, we, I grew up in Florida. My wife and I moved to Tennessee. And where we lived was like, we had no idea that this was happening when we moved there. It was like Tornado Alley. And it was just like, it was just a normal thing for the people who lived there. Like, yeah, there's, there's going to be tornado warnings and watches and all of that. And you just, you just kind of get used to it. And then it really happens. And then you're like, this is terrifying. Like, I remember waking up at, like, 2 a.m. one morning, and we had all these, like, alarms going off, and, and then you just kind of hear the sound, and it wasn't even really a true tornado, but the, the, the ter- how terrifying is it when the wind just takes hold of everything? And we've been there, and this is what the, the disciples were experiencing as the Spirit is coming down. So the sound of a hurricane came, and, and the Spirit was in it. The sight this is beautiful. So the fire, it says the fire of flaming tongues came and rested on each one of them. Again, if we're looking at the Old Testament uh, significance of the presence of God, most, of, most times it's accompanied by fire. So God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush. A bush that was on fire that was not being eaten up. God led the Israelites through the wilderness by night by a pillar of fire. God's presence came like a fire on Mount Sinai when he gave Moses the Ten Commandments. God's presence descended on the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle by a pillar of fire. So usually in the Old Testament, if, if, God's, if, if God's presence is there by fire, like you don't necessarily want to be there. Especially if you were unclean because it just meant a bad thing for you. Like you were, you were a goner and it happened a couple times. But now it's saying that the Spirit of God descended like a mighty rushing wind and they saw flaming tongues resting on each one of them. God's presence in the form of fire descended on each one of them. And they weren't being disintegrated. In fact, the the presence was starting to dwell inside of them. The power of the Holy Spirit was made known. And then, so the sounds, the sight, and then the speech. Because of the flame of the presence was on each one of them, the disciples began to speak in other languages. Now it's important that we understand that these are languages that, that those around them could understand. In, verse, in Acts 2.11, and we, it says, all of the people from under of heaven, it says, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. So the, what they were saying, the language was unknown to them, but was known to the visitors, to those who were them. And I think it's important for us to realize here, the good news, the magnificent acts of God that were being proclaimed by the disciples is, is, is just a very clear image that the first time the gospel was preached, it was done so in all languages. In all languages, so that everyone who was present could hear the, the, the good news, the magnificent acts of God that were accomplished through Jesus being spoken to them in their tongue. It's, that speaks to the heart of who God is. He is not a God that caters to one single people group. He is a God that, divide, that, that designed his, his community to be built in diversity. And he honors that at the, at the coming of the Holy Spirit and the presenting of the gospel for the very first time. 
So, if you've been coming here a while and you've heard this phrase, we desire to be a diverse group of good friends together doing good works and sharing the good news of Jesus, that's not a, a virtual signal. It is us saying we want heaven to come here on earth. That we would not cater to one people group, but that we would be diverse as the kingdom is diverse. And as our community is diverse. So the coming of the Spirit was a powerful demonstration of God's presence coming to dwell among the believers. How often do we stop and think about believers if we've trusted in Jesus with our life? That we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And he gives us all that we can need. Imagine this. Imagine that you're watching um, a football game on TV like I was doing last night. Go Bucks. Um, and, and the quarterback, or the, 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 the offense runs onto the field. The quarterback comes and they uh, call the play. And then breaks the huddle. And then all of the team goes back to the bench for a little Gatorade and some snacks. And the quarterback's standing there like, guys, we got to run the play. So then offense comes back out. He calls the next play. Everyone celebrates him, pats him on the back. You're doing a good job. That was a great play call. That was beautiful. And then they go back and they sit back down on the bench for some more snacks and Gatorade. At some point, the quarterback is going to look at his team and say, guys, we have got to run the play. And I think sometimes for those of us who are church members, we kind of treat church like that. We're a part of the offense. We're a part of the team. We believe in the mission of, of the team to go and win and to advance the ball down the field. And we want to see, you know, people saved and touchdowns, right? And so we, we come and we, we listen to, we let church kind of call the play. But then we go home and we just sit on the bench. And we don't let the spirit that's inside of us put us in motion and send us on mission to activate and what, what it is that God wants us to do. This is the mission that was given to his disciples and something that really matters for us today. So Peter is the perfect example of this, which is the kind of the next part of this. We see the transformation through faith. Look at Acts 2, 32 through 38 with me. So Peter goes on and he preaches this incredible sermon that I would love to unpack. But let's just kind of look at his closing arguments here. It says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has, received, and, and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Peter says, it is God who's done this. Jesus, through Jesus, the pouring of the Holy Spirit. For it, is not, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, Peter says, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, by the way, both Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
So we see the environment of faith, which leads to the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the empowerment of faith, which leads to the transformation of faith. This is Peter. First, we have to recognize and think about who it is that is preaching this sermon. In his historical context, literally three or four weeks earlier, Peter is in the tabernacle, in the temple, and he is running for his life. He is denying Jesus three times, and then the rooster crows. Right? And that was foretold to Peter. He said, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter does that. And now, through the empowerment, through, through ten does, days of prayer, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, Peter is transformed and he is preaching the gospel. He's saying this Jesus whom you crucified, he is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He's speaking it to all the nations that are present, but he's also speaking it to those most likely who were the ones that played a part in crucifying Jesus. So he feared his life 40 days ago, and he's transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit dwells, when the Spirit of God dwells in us, it changes us. And we're not who we once were. Peter from coward to a bold preacher. Saul from killer of Christians to Paul, the chief church planter, who wrote all, most of the New Testament. From a small town self-absorbed hothead to a still imperfect, but, dis, but a, a growing disciple that just loves the local church. That's me. I was very self-absorbed and very hot-headed, hot-tempered. He changes us. So the beauty of this passage is that transformation is available to everyone. That's what he says. His reply was when those who were in accordance said, Brothers, what should we do? He says, Repent and be baptized. For the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter's proclamation was that Jesus was both Savior and, and Lord. Savior and Messiah. And that must be our proclamation as well. That our hearts must be aligned to this idea that yes, we are sinful and we are in desperate need of a Savior. But we also need a Lord. And we need the Messiah to come and to take ownership of our life and to give us purpose and meaning. And we need to participate in the mission of God. And so we can know who Jesus is by his words. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So if that's you this morning, if you are hungry and thirsty and life is just not giving you enough, Peter's words here are that we can repent, we can turn from our life of sin, and we can enter into a, a, a relationship with the God of God and the Holy of Holies. And it says we can, be, we can repent and be baptized. And baptism is a beautiful picture of what it looks like. It's a beautiful symbol of what it looks like to live with Christ. It's dying to ourself, literally being buried in the water and being raised in newness of life, being raised with now the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling and living inside of us. It's an outward expression of the inward change that happens when we accept Jesus as our Lord 
and our Savior. And so we must do that this morning. So we see the environment of faith, the empowerment of faith, the transformation through faith. And then this is my favorite part in Acts 2. And I'm going to start the sermon now. So just, just lean in. <laughs> Acts 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the, to the so all, so, sorry, 41. So those who accepted this message were baptized that day. About 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. And now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the needs to all, as any had need. And every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in the temple, and, broke, and they broke bread from house to house. And they ate their food, and with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is the one key element that stands out to me. Their environment of faith, prior to the, with the mission, but prior to the spirit, was that of a dependence on God. Then the empowerment of the, of the, of, of the faith happens, and the spirit comes. And it, transform is, it transforms all that they do, all with their mouth and with their actions and with their voices. And now that's changing their environment of the faith. And how does this happen? At the center of it all is the gospel. At the center of it all is the gospel. And so on that day, 20 to 120 disciples devoting themselves to prayer, 3,000 more came. And you think, talk about a logistical nightmare. Like, how do we, how do we baptize 3,000 people and we don't have enough warm water and tubs and all of that? And then it says that day by day, they added more. It was now the movement of the church. So now what? What is this? This is cool. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful story of what God did. What does this mean for us? So as we kind of wrap things up this morning, I want to share with you the four devotions of the local church that I believe embodied the gospel and advanced the kingdom of God. First of all, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the word. It said in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And so this is a recognition that even though, yes, the spirit now lives inside of us, we must commit to understanding the scriptures and the text that, we have, that, that has been given to us. Ephesians 4 says it like this, that God gave some to the apostles, to the prophets, to the evangelists. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of, of the ministry. And so we com- they committed to the, the teaching of the apostles for the, their equipment to the work of the ministry. I like to think of this as the the diet of a healthy church. It requires a steady diet of God's word, both personally and corporately. So that's the first one. The second one, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to each other. So they went from 20 to 120 to to 3,000, and now they're they're coming and they're devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Then what did the 3,000 do? They made small groups. Hi. 
I'm the small group leader. No, so that's, but I don't think that's too far, too far fetched to say they, they, it got big fast. And then they came together in small groups. And they were devoted to that. So if, if the, the healthy diet is of God's word, then the exercise of our faith is by meeting with other believers and being committed to and devoted to a small group. Loving each other, serving each other, lifting each other up. And yes, it's going to require an extra night of the week. And yes, it may mean that when someone is going through a hard time that you have to put your plans aside to be there for them. But it's, it's beautiful and it's worth it. And it's the spirit that, that, that comes and just lives in each inside one of us. They devoted themselves to each other. Thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, living in the South, I love that would mean that they devoted themselves to eating, but that's not exactly what that means. It says, most likely the breaking of bread is the taking of the Lord's Supper. And, and in reality, it was they were devoting themselves to a Christ-centered remembrance of what Jesus did for them on the cross. They had a heart's desire and affection for their Lord and Savior. And so they set time aside to remember that. And they devoted themselves to the presence of God. A friend of mine says, healthy church bodies are filled with affections for the crucified and risen Savior. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. Again, the gospel changes everything. It changes our environment. It changes our needs. When the disciples had nothing else to do, for ten whole days they were waiting and praying. And then the Spirit showed up. And so if you found yourself with no, with no direction, with distractions everywhere, this is an invitation to pray. John Piper says this. He says, prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help that we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. It is the admission that we need God. What really mattered to the early church was God. They needed God, and we, we literally just sang that, God, I need you now. You are more than able. What would happen, what could happen if the faith in this room just made a movement in Horizon West? Because we were a praying people, devoted to prayer. It says that the, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Why? Because these four devotions are a clear presentation of the gospel to a lost and dying world and community around us. So church, let us walk in that this week. Would you pray with me? God, this is such a beautiful word a reminder of the things that mattered most to you. And Lord, as I, as I think about my own life and the ways that I allow 
um, work, the ways that I allow stress and fears to just cloud my view of you. Lord, thank you for sending your spirit. Thank you for the love that you have for each one of us. And so, Father, I ask that in this moment, God, that you would work in our hearts, that you would bring to our mind these, these four affections and devotions, God, to you this week. And, Lord, that we would get on board and join your mission as part of your church. Lord, I pray that you would receive all of our worship this morning, that you would go with us where we go, and that you would continue to change us this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
team. If you'd like to give here today, we see that as an opportunity to overflow our gratitude to the Lord and join in on the mission that we have here at our church. You can do that by texting the word GIVE to 40777. Also, if you're new here, remember to stop by the tents on your way out. And if you'd like to give a physical gift in person, we have some boxes in the lobby that you could do that in as well. Thank you, church. We hope you have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.